It's like, how, how do we grow the business when we don't have actually the assets to borrow against and, and not wanting to go, just having paid off my parents' mortgage because that's how I grew the farm, borrowing against my parents' farm, uh, my home, and having a young family and not wanting to borrow against my own house. I had to go and find a more innovative way to actually um, you know, finance the growth in the farm. G'day and welcome to episode 62 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and I'm really excited to welcome you back for the next instalment and the next guest as part of our Entola Trading series. Farming's a challenging business, but what about when that farm is underwater? For more than 15 years, Ewan McCash has been an oyster farmer on the New South Wales South Coast. Over his time, he's needed to adapt in order for his business to progress. Whether this was the business's reliance on himself, a challenge with record keeping or marketing their product. With a broad background of skills as a marine scientist, Nuffield scholar and multi-time founder of businesses including Signature Oysters, Smart Oysters and Oyster Life Farm Management, Ewan is a true innovator, passionate about modern technology and utilising it to balance sustainability and supply within his operations. Mate, welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. G'day Ollie, It's, it's good to be here. Oh, yeah, um, it, it's a very interesting rap sheet that you've got. <laughs> How many hours do you have in the day? Uh, never enough, but um, definitely learned to, to prioritise what I need to do. <laughs> um, and my partner, Louisa, would, would attest to that. She's actually been a driving force and it just stopped me walking, working seven days a week. So now I fit everything into, you know, Monday to Friday, eight hours a week. So it's like, do what I can of those hours. Yeah. Oh, well, I think I liked it. I'm sure. I'm sure I, I, I stretched that a bit. <laughs> I was going to say, what's been the, I guess, the, the biggest learning curve, or yeah, the benefit of actually bringing in that focus and and pushing your time to where it's most beneficial. Well, I would say it's been a journey. Um, and if I went back to the beginning, you know, I when I came out of university to a marine science degree, uh, I sort of knew I didn't want to become a scientist. So I was, you know, I was interested in aquaculture. Um, and that's and that actually drew the attention of my father, who also was interested in. He used to be a commercial fisherman, so he wanted to get out of his office job of 25 years, and he kept asking me, you know, about what we could do, whether we could fish farm or or prawn farm. Um, and I'm originally from the south coast, and it's where I'm farming now of, of New South Wales, and it was too cold for those sort of those sort of species that I was actually doing some work experience on, you know, prawn and fish farms. But one day he said, "What about oyster farming?" And, uh, and I said, yeah, you know what? It's not a bad idea. They're, they're sustainable. They grow naturally in commercial quantities in, in the rivers. You don't have to feed them. You don't have to treat them. And it's, it's actually quite um, affordable to get into in terms of the industry back then. Uh, and the South Coast is an amazing area for it. And after having that conversation, he came back to me a week later and said, I've, I've quit my, my job and I'm buying an oyster farm. You know, do you want to come join me? And, and I did. So I sort of... You know, cashed in my, my trip to, to Europe, you know, as a, and, uh, and as a 24-year-old, you know, and just got to, you know, went and looked at the oyster farm and thought, yep, I'm going to work twice as hard and, and make twice, twice as much money on this farm. And, you know, and, you know, that's how I got into it with my dad. And at that point, I was young, um, like naive, and, you know, just started working flat out, you know, and, uh, and I don't do that anymore. Uh, and I think that's that's the secret of our success. Yeah, well, I'm I'm fascinated to like uh, yeah ask more around your dad, but 
I just want to step back. The interest in the marine science and, and going down that path, was there something which pushed you in that direction or how did you end up along that path? Oh, I can't, I can't say other than like a love of the ocean and surfing, you know, and, and growing up on the South Coast and, also, and just not really knowing what I wanted to do with myself. Um, I think I sort of fell into the marine biology uh, and I often say to myself, I probably should have done a business degree because that's when I started farming. That's what I actually uh, enjoyed the most, like learning how to run the business and, and, and get and get benefit from that. Uh, but then again, if I had done a business degree, I probably wouldn't have gone oyster farming. You know, it wouldn't have stacked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Might have ended up in an office like your old man. What, <laughs> what do you reckon the biggest learning has been for your old man along the journey? Like, were you, was it obvious from the start that kind of this progression of, of you running the business was always going to happen? Did it start to show its head fairly early on? Well, I think we're probably interesting because we started the business together. Um, so we didn't really have an established role. It's not like a typical farming family where maybe I was trying to take over dad's job. Um, and we just sort of, uh, I think it took a few years for us to figure out father and son that we just shouldn't work together. So, so I, uh, I sort of ran into the running of the business and, and he's, sort of, yeah, he's quite a visionary. He done a, a lot of amazing things for oyster farming, definitely on the South Coast in terms of, you know, establishing better relationships with the council and, and um, getting better water quality for the river. You know, he established a environmental management, first environmental management system for oyster farming in, in, in Australia, or actually New South Wales, I should say. Um, so he was really sort of visionary, um, whereas I was like, you know, really left to my own devices, I guess, to, to just to make the business work. So dad came up with the ideas and, and then was like, well, there it is. You better go and deliver on it now, you wouldn't. I've already told <laughs> yeah, people yeah. it's happening. <laughs> what, um... I guess, yeah, the oyster farming, was it always going to be the path that you guys were on once you established or or did you start to think, oh, well, let's just get our foot in the door and then maybe look uh, at at going down that commercial fishing path or something else? Yeah, that's a good point, Ollie. Interesting enough, we've still got, you know, um, ideas and a vision, you know, to to do more in aquaculture other than just oysters. Uh, Turns out oyster farming is, actually quite profitable you know and, and it, they're quite resilient animals um and so it's, it's not a bad business in its own right and we're actually scaling we're doubling the size of the farm again over the next 80, 80 months so but now you know we're sort of to go through the progression of but now now i am running a software company smart oysters which is you know providing software for not just oyster farmers but seaweed farmers and mussel farmers around the world so we've actually got a great knowledge of you know, what's happening in aquaculture and what we possibly could do. Um, so it, we've still got that, you know, the seeds are still there to do something beyond just oysters. Yeah, cool. It really de- it depends on the location, really, like what you can do with the water you've got, you know. In terms of like an actual oyster, can you run me through, uh, like uh, I guess my background, I've dealt with livestock and cropping farms, but uh, yeah, I've only ever driven past, I guess, the Hawkesbury River and seen the oyster uh, stacks there. So how do they work? How long do they take to grow? And, and I guess, yeah, what does a farm look like that you guys set up? Yeah, so oysters, uh, and we'll talk about Sydney rock oysters, which is native to Australia and, and the east, east coast of Australia. Uh, they take about two and a half to three years to grow. Uh, they, they, they settle naturally, so they grow naturally and that we catch them um, out of the water column every year. And 
and really you don't need to feed them, you don't need to treat them. They're just eating plankton that that's flowing in the in the water. Uh, but there's a lot of handling, so it's a lot of a lot of, a lot of looking after them, um, keeping them. We call it the marine fowling of them, so mussels and seaweed and barnacles and other animals that might grow on the oyster. The idea is to grow that oyster full of you know two and a half years and have a nice clean shell. Day to day, um, our farm at the moment would have forty thousand oyster baskets out there. We'd handle uh, six hundred to a thousand of those oyster baskets a day, so bringing them in. You know, splitting the oysters out that are inside those baskets, um, drying them, grading them, and returning them to the water or selling them. And yeah, and that's a lot of, and, and that's, that's the trick of oyster farming. So to grow great oysters, you've got to know where they are, you know, what they are and when you need to come back and do one of those tasks like air dry or, or split, grade or split. And, and that's, it's quite a simple, like it's quite a simple farming process. We, you know, it, it, we can manage pretty much all aspects of their oysters health by handling them. Um, the trick, of course, is that it takes a long time to grow them, so it's a lot of, lot of work. And along this path of, of growing them, you and your old man, like in the early days, where did you start or I guess, yeah, this the business mindset start to kick in where you are noticing inefficiencies and, and challenges and I guess what were some of them? Oh, uh, let me start. When we, <laughs> no, I said, I think you're real. So, like I said, when I was young, I was 24, we bought the farm off an older couple. Uh, they seemed to be making okay money. And so I thought, I'll just work twice as hard and make twice as much money and just dove in there, you know, on the farm, you know, working, you know, seven days a week. Uh, but we didn't make any money. <laughs> so, 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 so once I start, once we, lost, we, we were losing money, I mean, when I say losing money, we just sort of got in there. We realized, well, you know, the farm had been running to the ground. You know, we needed to invest in upgrading it, make it more efficient. You know, I wasn't prepared to sit there you know, day after day hand grading. So we bought, you know, automatic graders. And we just invested in the farm and started up building it up. But uh, even as we're doing that, we're real- and getting more efficient in our operation. We realised we weren't getting enough uh, money for the oysters through the wholesale market. And at the time, the wholesale market was pretty predatory. You know, there was a pretty narrow supply chain to wholesalers. They would, you know, uh, not pay farmers what they were worth or make claims or string the farmer out for 90 days. So... So, yeah, so, so I guess what I found with oyster, at the oyster farming when I got in there, you know, it was really, I found it, it required work everywhere. We needed to upgrade the farm. We needed, you know, we needed to, to have build better relationship with the government, the regulatory authorities that, that were monitoring the water quality of the river. We need to build a better market and, and ultimately, again, also build better tools like software to actually run the farm. And that's how, it, that's how our farming journey went, you know, just about solving problems. And my, and in terms of back to question, yeah, like I probably took about two or three years before I realized that I had to step up and not just physically do the work. I actually had to start running the business and understanding how how to make money. In in terms of, I just got a question around the market piece. Like, is it a a dangerous industry in the sense of like putting your head up and trying to disrupt that supply chain? You you mentioned there's kind of the, the wholesale market, which you're just, yeah, supplying into on a regular basis as you start to look at alternative ways and whether it's going direct into restaurants or whatnot, does it get ugly or did it get ugly? Oh yeah, definitely. So I, when we started, and I mean the journey, so, so we started farming, I upgraded the farm. We weren't making enough money. So I ended up actually uh, establishing and building up an oyster bar in Aladala, the Aladala oyster bar. So I was there like working with, like, like with people, buying our oysters, selling beers and wine with the oysters. 
that I sort of understood that people were actually more interested in the story of what we were selling and, and what we were, how we were farming than they were in the price of oysters necessarily. Um, and I also started working with chefs and, and actually supplying oysters direct to restaurants, you know, with a flyer. And it was you and Makasha signature oysters. I had a story about how myself and the oyster farm and, and the provenance of the oysters. That ended up growing so that we, we got more restaurants and ended up bringing on more farmers. So we just turned it into signature oysters. Um, and every farmer put their own story, their little flyer in the box, and we'll pack it and send it off to the restaurant. And yeah, once I started doing that, once I started cutting out the the middleman, um, yeah, there was there was pushback, and I often often couldn't sell my wholesale oysters. In fact, at one stage we even changed our trading name to make sure that we get our wholesale oysters into the market. So yeah, yeah wow. it was definitely it was definitely one of those. But it needed to be like it, yeah, there was blowback. But at the time we were new to the industry, I didn't really have long established relationships with processes like many farmers and i guess and yeah so i didn't feel like i was betraying anybody you know i was just trying to just trying to make a profitable business yeah and is that has that been the driver uh or the primary driver as such that making an economically feasible business or was uh, i guess your love from the ocean and looking at kind of that sustainability angle was that the the main driver we got into oyster farming because it was sustainable. So I definitely got into it. I wanted to get into aquaculture. We could see oyster farming was very sustainable. Uh, then we needed to make money, you know. So then it was about, you know, how do we solve solve problems to, you know, um, actually make the business more viable so that we're not, you know, make it worthwhile. And now, interesting enough, now and now that and that's where the focus. Now we know, and there's a, there's a that's what we're seeing is huge change in this last couple of years where. Um, there's a huge focus now on, hey, like, let's, uh, in terms of sustainable and impact investments, like uh, oysters, seaweed, mussels, here is here is an industry that uh, we can scale up, we can grow more of, you can have big business in um, and uh, be profitable, but also have huge impact on the ocean in terms of regenerating the ocean, in terms of supplying healthy seafood. So it's been, it's sort of all come together, you know, uh, and it's quite exciting at the moment. And in, in terms of your, the, like the marketing business as such, has that just been the natural evolution of, yeah, I, I don't want to say just cottoning on with whatever the term is of the day. Like, have you guys driven, um, I guess, yeah, wording as such or, yeah, like niches within the oyster industry purely like out of that that marketing business of, yeah, if we can talk about it this way, then that this is going to be a, a, a point of difference as such? Oh, uh- it, what the, the story of like we were just caught, like with signature oysters there was when you provenance and 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 people's interest in food and where it's come from i mean that's a trend that's been building over over, over a decade uh so we really just tapped into that but i gotta say like with like with most things you know when you're working on a farm and you're trying to sell this is how do you start you know like I, so we started signature oysters we literally went and found a photographer and said, can you go and visit these 15 farmers, get their photo, and then we'll write a bio. We just had to start, and I didn't have a, I didn't start with a business plan, you know, <laughs> I didn't do anything. We just started, you know, and started, uh, you know, I think I'm getting better now <laughs> and actually thinking about, but when you're just trying to solve a problem, we just started. So it, it took, again, it took many years and I, um, to actually figure out what we were trying to do. So I knew there was a demand for chefs, but you know, just selling uh, live oysters in boxes direct to chefs. Um, not the next, 
and and we're, and we're actually found out later there was a demand there from the chefs, but we're really the headwinds against that was the fact that restaurants are now consolidating, like there's large businesses consolidating restaurants. They're looking, they've got their own issues with becoming becoming economically viable, and they necessarily don't have the resources to just buy unopened oysters and shuck them. You know, they they've got to do more with less. So from a chef's perspective, and the expectations of what chefs can deliver is very high. So. Um, so yeah, it, 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 signature oysters is has been a, a, a good learning learning experience as well. Super successful now uh, with COVID over the last year, we pivoted from just supplying chefs to now um, packing and sending oysters to homes as well. So online sales, and I think now we're selling selling more oysters online to people at home who want to learn how to open their own oysters and experience oysters from all over Australia than we ever have just a restaurant. So. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a success story as well. Yeah. Wow. It, it seems like these little successful business ventures follow you. Do you think it, it is that starting as opposed to trying to just turn up and say, here's the solution. It, it is very much starting off with, uh, I'm at the, the ground level and, and amongst the weeds as such and, and dealing with the, the problems that eventuate from that, that it has just been ideas born out of necessity. Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm not not some sort of uh, entrepreneur that just always has ideas. It's more that hey, we've got to solve a problem. You know, you know whether it's making being more efficient on the farm, making more money, or or trying to scale up the business. Like where how do we get capital in the the most latest iteration of oyster life? It's like how how do we grow the business when we don't have actually assets to borrow against, and and not wanting to go just having paid off my parents mortgage because that's how i grew the farm borrowing against my parents farm up uh, my home and having a young family and not wanting to borrow against my own house i had to go and find a more innovative way to actually um you know finance the growth in the farm and, and do it in a sustainable way well because that's that's an interesting point and it's something we hear like time and time again around like yeah basically one of the a lot of young people want to have their own farms but that kind of access to capital and the level you need to get started um, what was, how did you guys scale when it was you and your dad in the early days? Yeah, we just, we, so in the early days, we were, I was fully relying on my parents, like my dad and his, and just putting it all on the line. So we had borrowed money against their house. He, uh, you know, he liquidated his super every, every time we needed to grow or, or, uh, save our own asses because it was pretty tough in those early days. Um, he just. And it was actually interesting. And many times, uh, in, in terms of the story of, of the first 10 years of farming, you know, I often, I often looked at my friends who were working in the city or doing fly and fly out mining, you know, making great money. And here I was feeling like I was losing the family inheritance in an oyster farm. And I often said to dad, I said, why don't we just stop? Like, what are we doing? And he was like, no, you know, this is a good thing. You know, and he always had that sort of, you know, resilience and confidence in what we were doing. So, that's his, that's, that's his real strength. And, and, and it has paid off, you know, now, now I've managed to build a business, you know, on the South coast, you know, have that work-life balance. And now my friends ring me up saying, gee, I want to get out of the city or I want to, I want to get out of this fly and fly out sort of um, cycle, you know, how's your business going? Can we join it? Do you feel looking back, like you obviously came into the business as a 24 year old, like it's, pretty fun time of your life, those mid-20s. Do you, do you feel, yeah, looking back that you, you missed out on some some big opportunities in kind of those fun years because you, you've literally threw everything on the line? 
Uh, I think I was y- yes and no. I guess I feel like I would have loved to do the, I've done the, the travel, you know, and, and spent time overseas for long periods. I was, it was good working with my father. I was able to, every year I was able to get away from a surf trip or a snow trip. Um, and then I did the, got the, in 2012, did a Nuffield scholarship. So I was, you know, had the, had the awesome experience that I travel, travel around the world and, um, you know, visit heaps of farms, which at that time, by that time I was really interested in. It was great. Better than just going on a Kentucky tour. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. <laughs> you do both business and make it a, a tax deduction. In, what, what was your Nuffield focusing on? Uh, it was, I was talking about strategic planning for the industry. So for the New South Wales oil industry and whether, you know, if we wrote a strategic plan, how that could help us solve some of the problems that I was experiencing in a, in, a, in farming because I did at that stage I'd already realised that my, the problems I was having in terms of you know getting good prices because, you know adopting new technology uh, and uh, and scaling was, was something the whole industry was facing the, the New South Wales industry had been stagnating and even in decline for. For decades, like even now, the industry is still at only at fifty percent of historic production. So we've lost a lot of production out of a lot of rivers, and that's despite having the technology, the demand for the product, um, and the markets to sell it to, whether it's Australia or China. The industry's really, really been slow to to change and to and to grow, even though it's sustainable. So, like, why why have we seen such a large decline? Partly because of we have lost um, a lot of rivers early on, like a long time ago to, to water quality. So we've had water quality issues. So big producing rivers, whether it's been, um, yeah, just the water quality, where you have water quality issues and you get disease and issues. So we lost that. Uh, and then and then really, it's just been a slow, for the oyster industry, it, it, it's been sort of an onion skin of problems, but just a slow rate of change. So uh, an old industry, that had a culture of non-investment, so, and which is, I think, is reasonably understandable because oyster oyster farms are based on, you know, leases that are you only get a 25-year lease, you know, and, and a lot of farms are working off crown land um, POs that not freehold. So again, only 25-year leases. So it's really one of those industries that um, typically you wouldn't, you know, the culture is not to be invest back in the farm. Go and go and invest your money, make money from oysters, and go and invest somewhere else. Um, and that hasn't been super helpful, but but now that that's changed, I think well, it's changing. But we still still got this issue where you just anyone coming into, into you still need quite a lot of capital, like any farm to get going, but you don't end up buying an asset like a, a real you know a, a dairy farm or or, or a, a cattle farm where you've got real estate that the, the bank will lend you money against. So that's that's the real challenge. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund.
we'd love to hear from you. Interesting. Is uh, is there corporates playing in the space as well, or is it kind of uh, it's a lot of just family farms? Well, up until a few years ago, it was all family farms, and now now there's uh, that's in New South Wales. Uh, but now there's definitely definitely the the corporates are moving in, and they're and they're in terms of solving they're, they're solving you know the problem I've solved with oyster life, but they're probably solving it from the corporate perspective. They're buying up, consolidating farms. They're injecting the capital they need to actually um, update, get get new technology on farms, and then um, and 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 and, and bought into that sort of vertical supply chain. So talk me through, uh, yeah, you've just mentioned what, or you just mentioned Oyster Life. Can you tell me a little bit, I can see your merch, uh, what, what is Oyster Life and, and, and kind of when did it fit in along this timeline? So Oyster, Oyster Life's pretty new, but it's, so it's only two years old, uh, but it came out of actually my brother-in-law. So, I've got one brother-in-law, Jace, who was a, a professional surfer, um, who was also a teacher. And as his professional surfing career wound down and he started teaching, he wasn't enjoying it that much. And he'd moved back to the South Coast and started working on the oyster farm with me. Uh, I've got another brother-in-law, Jamie, that was fine flight working. So, and he was the same. He was looking for something to do that he could get back from the South Coast. So they were looking for jobs. And at the same time, I was sort of just getting the farm to a position where we had it was profitable but i was trying to pay my parents back so i had my my mother and father looking to sort of exit the roller coaster of farming you know and and get get a stable income and and i'd borrowed the farm had borrowed a lot of money off them over the years so i'm like how do i how do i grow the farm because i had all this opportunity and i had signature oysters and i had the smart oysters app how do i grow the farm but how do i but without you know borrowing money against my own house um, so what I actually did was, is uh, at that by stage I had a, a great network of sort of impact investors and friends and family that wanted to get involved in oyster farming. So I was able to pull my brothers-in-law in who had like, you know, both had really complementary skills. You know, one guy, Jace, super sociable, energetic, can run a crew, crew of backpackers on the farm. And my other brother-in-law, Jamie, um, super intelligent guy that was great at farm development and, and maintaining all the equipment we use. So I basically pulled them in. They brought in operating cash. And then I had investors buy two other farms um, and supply the leases and baskets. And, and we basically went, we went share farmers. So Oyster Life, it, it's very typical, something that's normally done in agriculture, but pretty novel for aquaculture. Uh, Oyster Life owns the oysters. We, we grow them across my family farm and two other farms. Um, there's actually about six investors involved in, in the whole, whole operation. And we profit share. And it's, it's working really well. Two years down the track, it's looking really good. Everyone's getting a return and, and making money. Yeah, well, so it's nearly like a cooperative, like vertically integrated business. Uh, the best way to describe it is is a uh, basically uh, oyster life is is a tenant that you know, and 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 the the investors um, and the basket and leaseholders, they're, they're landlords, and I guess. I mean, the core of smart. I guess the, the core of it is that we've got people that are the people who are invested in, in in oyster life in terms of leasing the basket. They they love oysters. Um, they see oyster farming as an economic reason to conserve the, the local environment. So the stronger the industry is, um, the more we can grow, more oysters we can grow, more people we can employ. There's a greater reason that not to develop you know the, the catchment that we're operating in. Um, so that's the real driver. That's 
that's that's why people have bought my investors have bought farms. And then we've got yeah, like passionate guys like myself, Jason, Jamie, who just love being on the river, you know, you know, love you know producing great food and to put that energy in and and really grow grow the business. That's really cool. I, I want to ask so to to get to that stage. Um, Smart Oysters, an app, a farm management app, I guess, is probably the simplest way of describing it. Um, how did that come about? But I guess the starting question around Oyster Life was, do you think you could have made Oyster Life happen if you didn't You already create um, Smart Oysters? Yeah, no, no. So the and to talk about Smart Oysters, so I had, had the Macash Oyster Farm that was starting to run quite well. I had signature signature marketing company, but then I started spending a lot of time, again, being the farmer and the founder, having to spend a lot of time traveling and talking to chefs and, and spending time away from the farm, you know, um, doing shucking events on the weekends and et cetera. So, uh, and so the more time I spent away from the farm, uh, I found that the actual farm engine would fall down. Like that decade of farming, I'd learned how, you know, I'd spent a decade figuring out how to farm on our, you know, on our patch. And, but then I was the only one that knew how to do it. Um, we did have a farm management system, um, but it was complicated. And again, you know, it was double entry. You write on a bit of paper, then you put it in a, in a database with a computer. And, and again, I was the only one who knew how to do it. So we, I was, it, it's actually said, so I went, then started looking at smart voices. By that stage, over, over, over 15 years of farming, I had, you know, we'd gone from Nokia um, 360s or whatever they are <laughs> to, to smartphones. I could do video calls on. I'm like, man, we've got to be able to run the farm from my phone. So we're looking for a solution. Couldn't find it. And, and, and like most things I've had to do is then have to found a company and, and develop a, a solution. And But what we've done is, is by understanding what didn't work from just a database management solution, what what systems tend to ask, like... A, what, what other software was asking us was really to take our unique, what, what we developed over a decade, a really unique farming practice um, and conform to, in order to get the value of, of the reporting. So conform to what this sort of standard database was. And that didn't work. So when we developed Smart Oyster, it was really like, let's, let's go to a farmer like myself and say, okay, where are you farming? What do you, what do you need to do? And, and when do you need to do it? Let's, let's help you do that. So we have a really versatile app that captures obviously the locations of farming uh, and the schedules, like when you're doing to do something, what you're going to do, those activities, and, um, and helps us you know, capture that unique farm practice. And, and I think that's, that's been the key. So I was able to basically transfer all my decade, my decade of knowledge of farming into the app and then hand off very successfully to my two brothers-in-law who now basically run the farming operation. They run a bigger farming operation, they make more money than I ever done, and they only, they only work four days a week um, because they, they've prioritised having family time as well with young kids. Entola Trading was established in 2015. Their founder, Alicia McClarment from far north Queensland, set about creating work shirts slightly differently. Made from Australian cotton, every single shirt has a story. And they are tied to the most inquisitive and fascinating people that rural Australia has to offer. You can check out their whole range at www.entolatrading.com. And for every shirt that's sold as part of this series, 
Entola will be donating $2 to the Ronald McDonald House in Brisbane. To find out more, you can check out the show notes below. Tell me, because the world of software and being a tech entrepreneur, <laughs> all I know of software companies is they seem to yeah lose a lot of money and bring products out that uh, I guess have yeah been superseded by the time they're ready to go. How, how have you guys managed that? Or have you just had to keep raising cash for it? Yeah, so it was, we, we knew that from the beginning. We knew that just selling, well, luckily, I, I guess if I had been left to my own devices, I would have just done, you know, put, put my old database in the cloud. Like it would have been very simple to do that. Luckily, the my co-founders who I met, Philip Browning and, and James Horton, actually came from, you know, a pretty big, long career in in, in sort of understanding data, uh, strat, you know, tech strategy and, and implementing sort of technology in businesses. Um, and they knew, they said, we need to design something that'll be used by the farmer. We knew it needed to have immediate value for the farmer in terms mm-hmm. of day-to-day operations. So how do we do that? And at the same time, build into to the platform value that we can create down the line for the farmer. We had an ethical um, standpoint in terms of data, the farmer owns the data. So you know, it wasn't about data farming and trying to siphon far- data from farms. Um, it was like, and if we weren't going to do that, it's like we need to make sure that these guys actually got benefit from right from day one and then ensure that the data they were collecting was valuable for, for something else, you know, whether it's, going and you know, certifying provenance, financing, financing their farm, you know, whatever may, ca- whatever may came down the, come down the pipeline of, of, you know, in terms of making them digital ready. The, the digital economy, as, as so to speak. Uh, so we knew that from the beginning that didn't make it any easier, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so, so selling software to farmers was was definitely hard, definitely tricky. The way we approached it actually was that instead of going and trying to build something from the ground up, which is very costly, we actually found a platform that had, you know, that was already established at, 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 um, and that was sort of GPS based. And we actually invested in sort of, you know, retrofitting some, some features and functionality that I required for oyster farming onto it. And that way we could actually go to the market. We're actually, for the first few years, we're actually able to go around the world and sell a pretty um, smick looking app um, for not much investment. Yeah, wow. In terms of, like, I'm interested with these, the businesses that you're starting, they're all kind of in different areas. Like, yes, they all um, come back to the key uh, like the central piece being there's a problem around the farm or, or something to do with the farm. Um, did you have mentors or like, who did you surround yourself with to learn along the way? Yeah, I think it's, it's you should say that even as you said, so what I've, all the different businesses, I've got different people with different skills and I wouldn't, and I've definitely, I think the trick that the, the X factor or the trick to actually pulling that all together and all the different businesses. And this is actually, yeah, I do have mentors. Um, one of my investors, Mark Mills is a, is an impact investor. And and I remember when he helped me establish signature oysters, you know, one of the things we, we talked about is like, um, what do we call it? Embracing and celebrating um, uh, uh, different personalities, you know, different people bring different, different things to, to a business. And so, 
I've been able to sort of harness that. And to be honest, I, I've also used the right in the early days of the farming, we used a lot of um, woofers, so willing workers on organic farms. So I had a lot of people turning up, literally volunteering their time to work on my farm in return for a, a farming experience. And and so therefore we learned quite quickly. You know, I think my first, you know, the woofer was an Italian goth that turned up, you know, and, you know, he had a, a you know, a, a dog collar around his neck and he was wearing makeup and I thought, Oh gee, like, how is this guy going to work with me on the, on an oyster farm, you know, in on the South coast. But of course he turned out to be a fan. Luca is a fantastic guy. We're still friends to this day. And, um, and I think that's what I, I learned that over the years that you just got to take people as they are. Um, listen, listen to people and, you know, and, and build on people's strengths. And that's how I, I definitely think that's been um a strength of all the businesses i've done is that i just you just bring people in and they they sort of you know bring their strengths to the business so yeah do you think for you given like how busy you are it's nearly been like people have to just come in take the role and and naturally you don't have the time to micromanage them so there is this uh, i guess entitlement that comes uh, sorry empowerment that comes with the job for them because you you're doing a million things yeah yeah that's it so i think if you ask anyone like so my sister so i've got two brothers-in-law uh that are working for me obviously working my father my sister ran signature oysters for many years her husband now runs you know is now you know, one of the key people in smart oysters um so i guess what you're saying is if you've got to come and basically save my ass and work for free for about a year <laughs> that's that's true that's what that's sort of what happens people sort of you know i i start these things uh i you know um you know and then people come and help me out and, and eventually basically create their own role yeah i'd say that you know so it's uh oh, wow. you know <laughs> and yeah it has worked that way you know like um you know let people come into business create their own role and and then you know, all, all I got to do is keep the, sp- the plate spinning um, long enough um, that the business establishes itself. In in terms of, uh, yeah, today, what's been your proudest achievement of everything? You know what? I, I would say we just had a meeting. We just had a meeting recently with Oyster Life, or that, which is the farming operation, and it was a family meeting. Obviously, I, I brought in extended family into that business. And I think one of my proudest moments is actually seeing that, you know, we have established a strong, profitable business where everyone's needs are aligned. You know, we've got, you know, um, fathers and, and wives with young kids that, you know, dads have time for the family. Um, we're paying people's proper wages. Um, you know, my parents who have invested so much over the years can see that they've actually got a legacy, that it's actually got, got, um, it's got strong foundations going to go on. So I think that's probably my proudest moment, you know, and, and, and just most recently, you know, we've, we've closed, you know, a, really a $1.4 million funding round for smart oysters. Again, you know, that's, you know, it, it's established now it's a way, you know, it, it's got customers, it's got the resources to deliver what it needs to those customers. So, yeah, I think, you know, it sort of feels like we've sort of made it, you know, after a fair, fairly long journey. Yeah, fifteen years to be an overnight success. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And like, like proud moment, you know, is um, you know, I think we sort of talked about it initially. I used to work seven days a week, you know, it's just just work and work and work. But now I've got a young family, and but now I can take time off uh, at a, at a 
at a moment's notice and go to the snowfields. You know, um, I can spend time with my daughters. You know, um, growing them, and yeah, so I think that's that's been huge for a huge personal journey for me from a young, fairly naive guy that just thought work hard or suddenly make money to a forty-year-old guy that's like, no, if if I can't get this done in eight hours, then you know, then it doesn't get done. You know, so I've got to prioritize looking after my family. And I think that's actually a, you know, quite a, quite a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a good, good thing to do. Yeah. It's a pretty, uh, pretty cool balance to have. And uh, I guess, yeah, that discipline as well around it. Cause God, it's easy to get sucked down into bad habits. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't take the credit for that. Like I said, it, it's definitely my partner, Louisa. She was the one that, you know, when we started seeing each other, you know, seven or eight years ago, she was like, you know, um, we've got, she, she came, we came, she came to a relationship with two, two, um, kit, two tr- girls. And she said, like, you can't, you can't work. You know, I need you here. You know, you need, I need you here to, to cook dinner or to pick up kids or take them to netball. So that was a, a real driving force to actually drive me to not, you know, not just focus on work, actually have that balance. So. You mentioned in there you're chatting about legacy, um, and I guess yeah, building these businesses. In terms of you, you've had the chance to work alongside your dad. Um, have you started to? And I'm not sure how old your kids are, but have you started to have the opportunity to see them potentially interested in it? And, and does the legacy look like to you having them come into the business if they're interested and continue it on? Yeah, for, for me, the legacy is is about building a sustainable business so it's not about kids taking over that business it's about the choice so if we can we can create a farming business which we are that can pay good wages can attract good people it doesn't need it doesn't necessarily need our kids to move into it but they have the opportunity and choice it's not about well you've got to come and and work for nothing for many years you know in order to, to to make the business worthwhile um yeah, I definitely see it as, and also just that sustainability. I am so passionate about oysters. I've got to say, we could you know, grow, like I said, double the production of oysters in New South Wales, you know, and in the estuaries, and it's only a good thing. You know, we'll never um, get back to sort of historical stocking densities of oysters. The oyster reefs have been, you know, destroyed over the years, and and um, and but by growing oysters, you know, we can we can create great food. We can, we, there's a habitat for fish, you know, we're filtering the water, creating employment and great employment too, like employment with people out active, you know, um, on the water. So, you know, I think that's a good thing, you know, and, and, and I do hold to that, you know, that you know, by, by having a thriving industry, by having a profitable business, we're creating an economic reason to, to um, protect, you know, the, the, the environment where we live and the lifestyle, because that's what we're about down the South coast. You know, it's like, surfing bushwalking you know enjoying that natural environment so i've got a couple more questions i want to ask you that you around um the crowdfunding so to to raise that 1.4 million which uh, i guess to solidify smart oysters and really set you guys up for future success um you you undertook a crowdfunding campaign for that tell me what it was like to deal with 270 people from all walks of life who are interested in your business. Uh, and, and I guess, yeah, having them basically become such an important part of your life to allow the business to progress. It was pretty, it was actually very, 
it was amazing. It was pretty me. It was an easy experience, and it was amazing because prior to doing the crowdfunding, I'd been um, pitching smart oysters to investment funds. So you're not dealing with the people that that own the money. You're dealing with people who manage the money, and we're getting nowhere. And then to turn around and go um, crowdfunding, um, which is equity crowdfunding with uh, a platform called Virtual, it was so it was it, it was so easy. Like because you're basically just having there's so much energy in the conversations because you're talking to people and we did ring hundreds of people, pretty much talked to everyone that invested money in smart oysters, whether it was hundred dollars or fifty thousand dollars. And but it was it was an easy conversation because there's so many people out there that love oysters or are passionate about the environment or just have followed my career or I've sold oysters to over my career that were just like, yeah, we just want to get behind it and, and have a crack. And and the crowdfunding is pretty amazing because people are only investing what they can afford to. So, you know, whether, whether it is a thousand dollars or $10,000, they're, they're not putting their life, their, their, their livelihoods on the line. They're just saying, yep, yeah, I'm passionate about this and I like what you're trying to do, you know, go out there and, and have a crack. So yeah, it was, it was after a pretty, pretty, you know, draining 18 months, which everyone had with bushfires and floods and then COVID. Um, it was a, uh, Pretty energetic, pretty powerful, and exciting to do the crowdfund. It was easy. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was the easiest thing I've done actually. Talk just talking oysters with lots of people. Yeah. <laughs> Living the dream. Oh, I've got a question. Which oh, yeah, I've got two questions left for you. I've got one of these questions is I ask absolutely everyone who comes on the podcast, and basically how we frame it is you you're heading to a school tomorrow. Um, and you're talking to a bunch of year 10 students and you get the chance to talk to them about, uh, I guess, give them some life lessons. Year 10's a pretty interesting year where people can start to think about what the future and, and what life beyond school looks like. So I'd love to know what would be some of your advice to them and yeah, why, why could a career um, in aquaculture or in agriculture um, bring them uh, opportunity? Well... Yeah, so what would I say to a year 10 student? <laughs> I'd like, yeah, like now's never been a better time to get involved in, uh, you know, sustainable aquaculture or electric cars, I'd say. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, no, it, it truly is. It, there's a, it, it's, it's pretty rewarding. Um, everyone that's, that's working in the industry, you know, they, they, they love it. Um, there's lots of money flowing towards um, seaweed farming and, and oyster farming in it. And it, you know, in terms of, and I think most kids these days are, you know, most people actually, um, pretty tuned into the fact that we're going to change pretty radically to um, address climate change and become more sustainable. And yeah, oysters, seaweed, mussels, sustainable aquaculture is a is one you know, is is going to play a key role in um, you know capturing carbon, producing. Because I guess maybe many people don't think about it, but with aqua, even if it's intensive aquaculture like fish farming, uh, it doesn't actually require um, water, you know, or require um, the degradation of soils or anything like that. So it, it's actually quite a, a sustainable um, industry and, and, and a whole lot, and there's so much potential for it. So yeah, get 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 amongst it. Go and do a marine biology degree, <laughs> <laughs> or, or come and work in a tech company like Smart Oysters. Yeah, yeah. And the last one, obviously, the this series. Um, has been done in partnership with Antola Trading. And so you've got a nice light blue work shirt named after you. And I guess, yeah, being recognised as someone who's having a considerable impact, but a, a positive impact at that um, amongst the 
the aquaculture industry, but also within your communities. What was it like when you found out that you're getting a shirt named after you? I was actually really pleased. I was really pleased that, you know, that they honoured, obviously, that they, they were interested in my story and, and, and naming a shirt after me, but also, you know, especially just like this idea of that's what you do with, you know, you know, farming, you know, it's, you know, don't, don't just go farming, you know, like how about, you know, providing your own, you know, building your own work shirts and, and, and they're solving a solution as well. The shirts, shirts are great, by the way. Um, so I've got to, I've got to buy some more, uh, I guess they sent me one, but yeah. <laughs> so very, very happy to have a na- shirt named after me. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's uh, they'll look good out on the water this summer. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. Well, that's it. It's, and it, it's actually uh, because I'm I'm getting more in the office these days, so it's good to have a, a nicer looking shirt, not just a just a, not just your plain old cotton drill Bisley. Yeah. <laughs> well, mate, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. I think yeah, your story is such an interesting and fascinating one, and I think compliments the range of people that Alicia's brought together as part of the series from yeah people up in in Kununurra like Froka who's a diamond dealer to yeah beef cattle farmers to and getting aquaculture in on the conversation I think is a really important part because it's certainly uh you guys certainly don't get uh, I guess enough attention um but as you mentioned the way that things are going for you guys and, and the role you're playing in particularly yeah some of the climate change and mitigation and solutions is uh, incredibly powerful so thanks for that yeah no worries ollie and um yeah stoked to be on the show and and, and yeah happy happy to uh talk uh, sustainable aquaculture with anyone so. i hope you enjoyed that chat with you and you certainly managed to fit a lot into the last 15 years from where he started as a 24 year old stepping out into business with his dad for the first time as he found out as part of that, Ewan's journey has been absolutely extraordinary from just identifying problems in the day-to-day of what he needed to overcome in order to make his business more efficient and more profitable to then looking after the ecosystem and the environment in which they operate and also bringing together uh, different oyster farmers uh, and the ability to market their products. Next week, we're sitting down with Georgie Somerset. Georgie is an absolute legend of Australian agriculture. She sits on numerous boards uh, and she's been able to do it for more than the last 30 years from regional Australia. If you ever thought that living regionally was a barrier to building a successful career, Georgie truly contradicts that view. Look forward to spending next Wednesday morning with you guys. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll chat to you then.